in Matthew 27 this morning. Matthew chapter 27. starts in verse 45. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran, and took a sponge, and filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed, and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let's see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out, of the, out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulchre. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together and said unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. And so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at this scriptures this morning, uh, we look at the sacrifice that Christ made for us, Lord, but more importantly, this morning, we're looking at his resurrection and the 
hope that that gives to us, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged as we look at this today. And just thank you again for it. In Christ's name, amen. When we look at the beginning of this passage, starting in verse 45, we see these things taking place during Jesus' crucifixion. While he's hanging on that cross, it says, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. Can you imagine what people are thinking as all of this starts to take place. It goes black in the middle of the day, later in the day, but still in the daytime. It's dark out. And now there's an earthquake. And all these things, and I don't know if anyone was at the temple at the time, but when they get back to the temple, the veil is torn in half from top to bottom. And I'm sure you've heard of the, the size and the strength and the, just the substance of that veil is not something that could be easily torn. And there it is, torn in half. And I like when we get to the end of this, Verse 54 talks about the centurion. He says, And when the centurion and they that were with him, these big, strong, tough guys, these soldiers, that whip and beat and nail people to crosses, are watching all this taking place, and they say, Truly this was the Son of God. They feared greatly. <laughs> these people were moved. These people that witnessed that realized who Jesus was when all of this was taking place. And yet, in just the following verses, the very next day, it says the scribes and the Pharisees went to Pilate and asked for a guard to be put just in case somebody comes and steals the body and claims that he was risen from the dead. It's interesting that they knew that Jesus claimed that. They knew that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And I'll get back to that shortly. But when we go back to those things that are being listed, these events that took place, one of those, after the earthquake, it says that the graves opened up. And people arose out of the graves and walked about. And they went into the city. And many people saw them. There's our zombie apocalypse. Right, <laughs> Charmaine? <laughs> but there's a detail in there. This didn't happen during the crucifixion. This didn't happen while Jesus was on the cross. It specifies that it happened after Jesus' resurrection. It put this detail in with these other details that happened while he was on the cross, but it specifies 
that this resurrection of these people from the dead, these people coming alive out of the graves, happened after Jesus' resurrection. And that's important. It's important because Jesus had to rise first. If you want to follow with me, I'm going to spend a fair bit of time back and forth into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you want to hang out in 1 Corinthians 15, I'll be coming back and forth to there quite a bit this morning. But in verse 20, it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man, in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. And so Christ has to rise first, because he's the firstfruits from the dead. And we see... There's a picture of this, of course, in the Old Testament. And there's numerous places, and when we get into when the law was being given, it's given initially, and we see some of the details right off immediately as it's being given. But as we get go through those books of the law, sometimes it gets repeated, and a little bit of details we see included um, in some of the different spots, but in this particular instance, Exodus chapter 23, verse 16 says, And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of thy field. And then in verse 19, it adds to this, it says, the first of the first fruits of thy land. The first of the fruit, first fruits. The very first of the harvest. The first thing that you take out of your fields. Thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. That's important. This was a picture of Christ. And the resurrection is bringing the first fruits to God. He is, this is a picture of Christ being the first fruits, the first of the resurrection, the first of the harvest that's going to enter into heaven, receive a new body. Leviticus, sorry, Leviticus chapter 2 verse 12 speaks of this as well. It says, as for the oblation of the first fruits, you shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. These first fruits are a picture of the resurrection of Jesus. When we get into the New Testament, Jesus begins to talk about this in John chapter 12. And he adds to this in a, in a little bit different way. John chapter 12, verse 23 so then Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He's preparing for his crucifixion. 
preparing his disciples for his crucifixion. Verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And he begins in this passage to describe planting a seed in the ground. And he says, unless that dies, that body, that's picturing our human earthly body, needs to die and be buried. But when it grows up, it's going to produce fruit. It gets a new body that will be harvested. And this is a picture of the resurrection. We need to let this body die, and God's going to give us a new body. Paul deals with this a little bit more. He, he, adds, he goes to this same thought that Jesus was teaching from in 1 Corinthians 15. When we looked just a little further along. So in verse 35, Paul picks this off. He says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. And it, again, it begins to describe our flesh, and the difference is, there's different seeds for different grains, is what he's describing, and now there's different bodies for different creatures and there's one body is man another of beasts and another of fish and another of birds but in verse 42 it says so also on the same topic so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown in corruption it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that which was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward, that which is spiritual. When we look at these verses, this description is very clear 
of our body, our flesh, this life that we're living in this flesh at this time, what a description. It's sown in corruption. That's us, corrupt in our sin, right? It's sown in dishonor. It's sown in weakness. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh is corrupt. But we need to let this flesh die so that God can then raise it up into a new body, a resurrected body. And the description of that resurrected body is much better than the description of our physical body, our natural body. sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. Complete opposite of all of the problems that we face in this life, that's all gone in our resurrected body. In that passage I read, verse, Matthew 27, verse 62, says, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. They remembered these religious leaders who had Jesus crucified remembered that he said he was going to rise again after three days. In John chapter 20, as the people are coming to the tomb looking for Jesus after the Passover, after those three days are finished, verse 9 says, describing their reaction. It says, For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. The disciples didn't yet know the scriptures that the religious leaders that had Jesus killed did know. They didn't realize yet that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. His own disciples didn't know that. But I want to look at, just briefly, this idea of, for as yet they knew not the scripture. That's an interesting wording here. What scripture is he referring to? Would he be referring to the words of Jesus that aren't even written down yet? That's certainly a possibility. The words of Jesus are certainly scripture. And whether they were penned down on paper at this point or not, they're still scripture. And we have, and I only picked a couple of passages here. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus, again, is pointing to the, to the temple, or he's standing at the temple. He's not pointing at it. And he says, verse two, chapter 2, verse 19, and John says, 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he's talking about the physical earthly temple, but he's talking about his body. And John makes that clear in the passage. Somehow the disciples seem to have missed that. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't. They caught it. They understood what Jesus was talking about. John chapter 10, verse 17 says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. He's going to lay down his life, but he's going to take it again. He's going to put life back into that body. He's going to resurrect his body. Verse 18 says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. You would think, if you take me and nail me to a cross and hang me there till I die, that's not me laying down my life, if you've forced me into that and done that to me. But that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus was fully capable of stopping all that from happening at any moment throughout the whole process. And so he can say, they don't take it from me. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus clearly taught his disciples what was going to take place. He clearly taught them that he was going to die. He taught them how he was going to die. And yet we see the reaction throughout the entire process. They were completely oblivious to all of the teaching about it. And they were shocked at everything that took place, even though Jesus had very clearly told it all to them. But it says, they understood not the scriptures, and said, is it, is it Jesus' words that they didn't, is that the scriptures that it's referring to? Would it be the words of the Old Testament prophets? There's various places in the Old Testament, I'm not going to turn to each one of them, but there's in Isaiah, and in Daniel, and in Hosea, and numerous other places that speaks of the resurrection. I will turn to, to one of them. I'll turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And he ends the chapter in verse 13, he says, But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest, and stand in thy lot 
at the end of the days. And these verses, verse 2 in particular, makes clear that there is a resurrection that people can look forward to. This isn't specific to Jesus. And it's actually surprising how little there is in the Old Testament referring to the Messiah or to, to Jesus and his resurrection. There's quite a bit that we looked at that describes the sacrifice, the, the death and the torture that he's going to go through. But there's really very little that describes his personal resurrection. Psalm 16, verse 10 is, is one of those few places, and we've looked at this not that long ago, but it says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And it's just this promise that Jesus is not going to be left in that grave. It's not the end of the story. There is going to be a resurrection in it. It's understood when we look at that, but did the Jews of Jesus' day understand that, I wonder? And so we have these various passages in the Old Testament prophets. Is that what John 20 verse 9 is referring to? Could be. But it could also be referring to the words of the Apostle Paul. And this is also words that haven't yet been written down. But is there any reason that it couldn't be referring that they didn't understand these scriptures? And when we look at this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter is about the resurrection. And it begins saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He's about to declare what the gospel message is. By which also ye are saved. There's the gospel is what you believe in for salvation. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. It says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Here's the resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. And here it is in Scripture. Is that the Scripture that John is referring to? I don't know. There's all of this. It's probably the entire package that is being referred to. And we can look at this entire package of Scripture, all of these things we can put together, and we can see that it was foretold in the Old Testament of what Jesus was going to go through, but that he wasn't going to stay dead in that grave. He was going to be resurrected back to life. We can see in the Gospels that Jesus knew what was going to take place, and he told people before it happened exactly what was going to happen, and that he was going to be resurrected back to life. 
and we see written to the church, to us. These passages from Paul that again retell this story and proclaim to us that gospel message. But it doesn't end just with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There's a promise given in that that goes beyond. And that's the real hope that we have in our faith in Christ, is the promise that goes with this. 1 Corinthians 15, as we get toward the end of the chapter, and we've been looking at this promise of resurrection, that our earthly body needs to die in order to be resurrected back to life. But we get more detailed at the end of the chapter. Verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to come a day when all of this will be behind us. We're going to be given, we're going to drop this body, whether it's before our life is over or maybe someday later down the road. But we give up this body and we get a new one, a better one, a perfect one. One that will live forever with Christ. It ends, verse 58, Therefore, therefore, because of what I just told you, because of this hope of the resurrection, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Stand steadfast and unmovable. But we have work to do. We have labor. Until that happens, God has given us a job. And Jesus' very last words in the Gospel of Matthew, verse, chapter 28, starting in verse 18, says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We have a job to do while we're here. While we're waiting for our resurrection, our job is to point others to the hope that we have in Christ. We need to get out and share that message. We need to make sure that our friends and family know that message, that know what Christ has done, and know that that is their only hope. Father, again, we thank you for this message of the resurrection. Thank you for the sacrifice, the payment for sin that Jesus took on that cross. And Lord, we just, again, thank you that uh, all we have to do is believe in that, trust in what he did as payment for us, and that we can receive eternal life. We can receive this promise of a resurrection into a perfect incorruptible, indestructible new body, Lord, that will live forever with you in all eternity. And I just thank you again for that, Lord. Help us to understand, help us to have clarity as we spread this message to as many people as we can, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.